0: You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 38, covering The Way to Eden and The Cloudminders. Hey Matt. Yeah. We're uh, almost done with season 3. I know, how weird is that? This is like the second to last episode of season 3. I know we've been, we've been sort of counting down, and I know we're kind of struggling to get to the end, but really, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that we just blew through an entire TV series in, in a few short months. I, mean, I know, horrible. right?
1: How long have we been doing this?
0: I don't know. Since um, Well, season three has been going on since uh, the dawn of time. Uh-huh. But somehow the actual podcast has only been going since, like, last September, so... Uh, wow. I don't really know how that works, but uh, it's some kind of weird Russian nesting doll of time. You know, Nesting Doll is invented in Russia Yes, shut up <laughs> We will check off. We'll in fact be joined by a second Russian this week <clears throat> oh. In Matt's episode Why don't you tell them about The Way to Eden All right. While doing that thing they
1: do The Enterprise encounters a stolen spaceship Which promptly explodes Luckily, and I hope you can hear the quotation marks I'm slamming around that word <laughs> Scotty manages to save the ship's crew A bunch of smelly space hippies Turns out that anyone who's anyone in the Federation and refuses to get a job is aboard the stolen ship. It contains the son of famous Federation diplomat from the treasure troll planet, some Russian girl that Chekhov used to bang, and Dr. Severin, an ex university professor who went crazy when his ears exploded. They worship the almighty Professor Egg and are searching for the planet of, e- of Eden. If they had simply asked the crew, Kirk probably could have directed them to one of the 85 planets he's compared to Eden in the past year, but instead they have a sit-in and stink up the place with patchouli oil and self-satisfaction. Dr. Severin is is examined in in sickbay and discovered to have a deadly illness that forces him to only stay in places with an advanced level of technology. Kirk quarantines him for the health of the crew and also to shut him the fuck up. Spock see, speaks to Severin, who reveals that he, was all, that he was well aware of his disease, and he has to find the planet Eden to cleanse himself of it. Spock thinks he's completely batshit crazy, but agrees to help if Severin will shut his followers up. Meanwhile, the brotherhood of, the, of Professor Egg moves about the crew, playing shitty music on broken bicycle tires. One of them, an especially insufferable little shit named Adam, invites Spock to a jam session. Now, I am normally a man of peace, faithful listeners... But uh, know this, I want to strangle this Adam guy forever. I never want to stop strangling him. While this is going on, Chekhov is being sweet-talked by his old gal, a subtle trick on her part to understand how to run the Enterprise. It turns out that these smelly hippies are planning to steal the Enterprise in their quest for Eden. They do this surprisingly easily by distracting the crew with terrible music and using the treasure troll neck pinch to knock key members out. They steal the Enterprise quite easily and fuck off to Eden. That accomplished, they steal a shuttle and then head for the planet. <sighs> Kirk, Spock, Bones, and Chekhov beam, beam down after them and discover that Eden is indeed a gorgeous planet, but it turns out that everything there is made of acid. They find the body of Adam, much to my delight, choked to death on his own sense of self-worth, I'm worth, I mean a piece of acidic fruit, and the rest of the hippies in the stolen shuttle craft nursing severe burns. The hippies agree to return to the Enterprise, except for Doctor Severin, who freaks the fuck out and kills himself with a poisoned pomegranate—a fitting end for his kind.
0: Okay, here's the thing about this: you and I both have, have, have for years, you know, read about various Star Trek episodes, seen quite a few. Mm-hmm. We knew this was the Space Hippies episode. We were, we were ready. We were cringing. We we're like, okay, here it comes. This is, this is going to be one of the worst ones. This is going to be like. Fox brain bad. Yeah. And this was well above average for season three. This oh, was not a God, bad episode. Yeah.
1: This was way better than most of the shit we've had to watch
0: this year. There was no padding. Like, it was paced really well. Yep. Uh, there there were some character arcs. There were some, like, decent concepts. Everything made sense. Yep. Like, you know, again, average. Like, slightly above average. It wasn't awesome or anything. But you got a decent Spock story. You, I cannot believe I'm fucking saying this. You got a decent Chekhov story. Yeah, the
1: only ch- time Chekhov has ever been even vaguely likable.
0: Yeah, and of course, uh, looking up uh, on uh, Memory Alpha, we find out <laughs> this is the only episode where Koenig didn't like the way Chekhov was portrayed.
1: Yeah, apparently Koenig and, and we have a very different view of what the hell Chekhov should be
0: doing. Yeah, see, I really liked the idea of uh, a guy who kind of, you know, he, he fell in love, he got his heart broken, and then maybe because of that, or maybe just after that, he went and joined the military, and then later he meets her and she's a hippie. Like, that's mm. a, that, that's kind of a cool story. And they're at odds because he's he's sold out to the establishment and she's, you know, a free spirit. And that, mm-hmm. you know, on a very basic level, that's a cool story. But yep. apparently Chekhov, like, Koenig thinks Chekhov was supposed to be the free spirit, and that doesn't work. But mm. the,
1: fuck him. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it, was a, it was not a bad, like, again, not a not a bad story. And seeing Kirk react to these guys was great and there's, there's a lot you know, of I a mean, lot of decent stuff here.
1: I mean the hippies themselves were infuriating, but they're supposed to be.
0: Yeah, and that's the best thing is we assumed late sixties, Roddenberry's supposed to be so progressive. This is gonna be his I'm trying to sell hippie life to the squares episode. Yeah. Uh if that was the case he really didn't because um that does not that life does not look appealing to me in any way. No. I mean the A lot of cute. face painting. Yeah a lot of face painting a lot of Listening to, they they made a comment that uh, they don't believe in in um, authority or leaders, and then mm-hmm. almost immediately the next line is that guy's their leader. <laughs> well, fucking pick one. If you don't believe in authority, then you're like a, a, a commune that you know votes on stuff or something. But
1: we don't we don't believe in leaders, man. This is our boss, Doctor Severin.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, it just it, it amazes me that. There were likable things in this. I, I like. I also like the idea that the dude wants to drop out of society, but he's got this basic mm-hmm. biological thing that won't let him. I mean, that's that's using sci-fi to tell decent human drama. Yep. Which is the thing I can't believe I'm saying about the way to fucking Eden. Ugh. Just everything. No, it, it's everything ridiculous. We know about like says we shouldn't like it, and yet it was pretty
1: okay. This should be utterly terrible, but it was really pretty good. Yeah,
0: and again, I, maybe it's just because we're judging it on season three merits. Yeah. Because it's definitely better than the last few weeks it's definitely better than than the other one we drew this week, but no I mean again, I would put this like if you were if you were making a list, this would fall somewhere in the middle Mm-hmm. it's not It's not great, but it's not terrible. everything's competent and makes sense and and you know it's an it's a okay put together story. It is interesting that d c. Fontana had a hand in writing it and uh, went with a pseudonym though mm-hmm. The
1: pseudonym of an ex Seinfeld cast yeah.
0: member. <laughs> the well chosen pseudonym Michael Richards. <laughs> That's great. I did love
1: that Spock
0: was the only character who could relate to them. You yeah, would...
1: that was a really that was a really nice take on that character. And I totally, I like, I totally buy that as a like a Spock character trait.
0: I do, and and I hope I'm not stepping on your quote. I didn't see what you chose, but there's a there's a line where he's he's talking about being an outsider, and he he can relate to that. Mm-hmm. i don't know if that's the, hopefully that's no not the that's okay. not my quote yeah he he said something like i he they're you know they're outsiders among among people you know who they can't fit in with or something like that i know what that's like it's like yeah at least the, whoever wrote this which i guess dc fontana wrote that part probably mm-hmm. really get what he's about because the initial assumption would be he's the squarest of the squares he's the most like establishment guy of all yeah and yet you look beneath the surface of that character and you've really been paying attention the last three years. No, there's there's more to it than that. Yep. And that was that was really well done. Yep, and then he jams on his Vulcan harp. He does. They 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 play some the, the music just went on and on and on. There was yep. like so much and it felt out of place. It felt sort of even dated for the late '60s. And yeah, it, it, it's supposed to be like hippie music, but
1: it really felt more like fifth, like like the '50s rock like, and roll that would play.
0: Yeah, it sounds like old- uh, it sounds like rockabilly. It sounds like uh, yeah, like early Elvis. And it's, it's, you know, it's not bad music. It just it, on Star Trek, it's one of those things where whenever they try to specifically play music or or do fashion, like show people wearing clothes when they're off duty, you know, any, anything. That requires you to believe that you're looking at a real culture from 200 years from now. I I just don't buy it.
1: No. And this was no exception. But, I mean, that's always been a flaw with Star Trek.
0: It has. Into, you know, into Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, all of them. They just, they don't really know how to do that. Mm -hmm. That's why you don't hear the music that a lot of people are listening to because it's hard to do that. Yep. And they, they understand that. Um, That's why everyone sticks to classical music, or the trombone. Except to them, classical music is, you know, stuffy old songs about the buttocks. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Futurama did really uh, nail that one on the head, I think. (laughs) Um, So yeah, they end up on planet Eden, and Adam eats a fruit and then dies. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. That was, you know... It
1: couldn't be more on the nose if Val had shown up and handed it to him. If
0: it was more on the nose, it would be in the nose. It was just <laughs> too too much too much plus a planet of acid while i appreciate that's kind of cool and sci-fi and and uh and sort of exotic it looked exactly like every planet set they've ever been to only um it, it, they're like five-year-olds playing don't touch the ground it's made of acid yep <laughs> really Remind- sitting on the rocks is okay though yeah the rocks aren't acid it reminded no. me of that uh, venture brothers where they flash back to to rusty's childhood it's like don't don't touch the red ones they're lava <laughs> <laughs> uh the the dudes in the group all had uniquely horrible looks to them yep there's the curly headed douche with the fake guitar the troll doll guy i hate him or the bald guy who slept with a pound of gum in his mouth and got it caught on the sides of his face
1: yep but the ladies were cute yes they were all of them. even uh even russian chick i quite
0: liked. yeah i and i i get the feeling she was doing the same kind of bad accent that uh That Koenig does, but uh, Mm -hmm. hearing them together actually wasn't annoying. She was kind of cute.
1: I kept expecting her to ask Chekhov to help her kill Moose and Squirrel, though.
0: (laughs) Put on this hat, Pavel. (laughs) Join me. We will go to Frostbite Falls.
1: (laughs) I will introduce you to Great Leader.
0: (laughs) Fearless Leader. Fearless Leader. Um, But yeah, I I didn't hate Chekhov, despite what Koenig says, and and I thought... Like I've said with Shatner, there's a certain comfort zone these actors have, and if they stay there, they're fine. And I mm-hmm. actually bought him as the young guy who had his heart broken. Like that he was you know, he played yeah. that okay. He didn't he didn't annoy me. Which is rare.
1: De- de- definitely a nice change.
0: Yeah. Whereas, you know, the hippies definitely annoy me. I like I like the way Kirk reacted to them. Uh just sort of like oh, fine. But it was clear they were trying to provoke him and he wouldn't yep. he wouldn't fall for it, he wouldn't yell at them, he wouldn't punish them. He just kind of roll his eyes and walk away. Just get get out,
1: get him out of my transporter room. Yeah, I got exactly. Got shit to do.
0: Yeah, it just.
1: Uh. Sir, you are aware that you have a drawing of grapes on your forehead, right? <laughs> shut up, Square. Or excuse me, shut up, Herbert. Herbert.
0: That was that was. I mean, they tried to give them lingo, and it sounds it sounds like quaint uh, '60s uh, hippie lingo for the most part. But uh. I did like that they referred to all the squares as Herberts. I kind of <laughs> like that actually.
1: I am not a Herbert. Yeah. He's not a Herbert, man. We swing. <laughs> Does that mean they're all having, like, crazy orgies? Oh, I hope so. <clears throat> Do you? That would explain why so many people came in came to see them in the cafeteria. That's true. That
0: was a nice scene where, uh, yep. where he's jamming on his fake guitar, his weird, looks like it's made from, like, a sword and a, I don't know what, half a barrel, maybe. <laughs> the
1: crap they found in the closet.
0: Yeah. Um, and then the, uh, Spock brings his Vulcan harp and they're, they're kind of jamming together. And yeah, the, the rec room fills up with, I mean, probably 20, 30 extras. Yep. And I love that feeling when the ship actually feels like, you know, Kirk always goes on and on about 420 men, whatever.
1: Yeah. And we see like a grand total of two.
0: We, we see, you know, the, the cast that gets in the credits and then plus one or two guys wandering around. Yep. It's nice to see, I mean, that, that room was full. And there were people spilling out into the hallway, and you could see further people walking around in the hallway behind them. It was just, Mm -hmm. you know, a nice little moment. I like when the ship looks lived in.
1: Yeah. Very nice. It was actually really sort of a return to form for Star Trek when you think about it. Like, a lot of the episodes we've been getting lately are, you know, very Kirk-centric. Like, everyone is having a whole lot less to do as the series winds down. Yeah, This one had stuff for the supporting cast to do.
0: Yeah, you had a uh, Spock story, and you had a Chekhov yep. story.
1: You had a Ch- Spock story, you had a Chekhov story. You had a busy-looking Enterprise, which we don't see a whole lot of, lot of
0: anymore. Yeah. No, and it was uh, mostly a bottle, bottle show, too, which probably helped uh, budget-wise. But Yeah. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. And that's that's something we've noticed. And, and you know, all the stories from behind the scenes are that, you know, Shatner demanded more time and blah, blah, blah. And that's probably true. Mm-hmm. But just from a, from a viewer standpoint, we've noticed it's all about Kirk. And... What's the fun in that? I mean... Yeah. This, we watch this for the ensemble. I mean, yeah, okay, he's the head guy, but we watch this for all the guys. He's certainly not the most interesting guy on the cast. He's not, but even if he were... I mean, Picard was one of the most interesting guys on Next Gen, but I wouldn't mm. want to only watch Picard's stories.
1: No, well, like, everyone got some time to do
0: something on that show. Yeah, that's one of the things that the later series learned, and all of them did. I mean, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't like Voyager Enterprise, but they continued that tradition of the whole crew is the cat You know, it's not mm. just... Uh, It's not just about the captain. The Kirk show featuring Kirk. Yeah. In fact, on on Next Gen, the Picard episodes were kind of a treat. It was kind of like once a season you got a big story that was really about him, and it was was kind of nice. It wasn't always about him. You know, he always had stuff to do, but, Mm -hmm. you know, they they used it a little more sparingly. And, again, you're right. Kirk's not the most interesting one. There's only so much you can do with him. Yeah. Unless you start writing him out of character, you know, he can get angry, he can fall in love. That's about it.
1: Yeah, and we've seen him do both those things quite a lot. Yeah, many, 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 many times. times. In fact, and he'll we'll do see it them again. Yeah, <laughs>
0: in, in my episode, as a matter of mm-hmm. fact. Uh, Are we are we done with this? Are you ready to move on? Uh, I think that's it for Wade Aiden. All right, let's move on to the Cloud Minders, which I thought was going to be the good episode this week. I was wrong. Um, so, some planet is having a plague. So naturally, the Enterprise has to go fetch its medicine, like so much Peter Parker to that planet's Aunt May. <laughs> The planet in question is, or the medicine in question is mined on a planet where the educated elite live in the sky and the unwashed laborers live in caves. This you may be surprised to learn is not a metaphor for Vietnam. It's all about class warfare and about how rich people look down on poor people. See, they're in the sky, literally looking down. If you're not getting the symbolism, don't worry. They'll continue bashing you over the head with it for the next fifty minutes. Kirk and Spock are attacked by the surface dwellers, cleverly called troglites but then are rescued by the better class of people who live in the sky. The usual flirting and ham-handed intrigue happens for a bit, Then Kirk decides this whole planet's arrangement is unacceptable and has to change it. I did mention that this planet's not in the Federation, right? Surely there's some important rule, some directive, if you will, that encourages Kirk not to interfere. And if there were, surely it would be considered more important than all the other directives, right? No? Oh, alright then. So yeah, Kirk commences to meddling. Bones discovers that while the troglites in the... I don't know, the Rockefellers or whatever these douchebags are called. Anyway, while they're the same species biologically, the troglites are actually scientifically stupider. Turns out that the stuff being mined on the surface, the stuff that the Enterprise needs to save that other planet, makes you stupid. Yeah, I don't get it either. Anyway, Bones makes a mask that can can protect the troglites and improve their lot in life. Naturally, the elitist snobs don't like the sound of that because the man is always trying to keep you down. So Kirk does the sensible thing. He kidnaps the leader of the Sky City and forces him at phaser point to mine until he turns stupid. You might think I'm exaggerating this to make Kirk sound unreasonable, but I assure you, that is exactly what happens. The episode ends like all episodes I don't like seem to end, with footage that makes it abundantly clear that the Enterprise is getting as far away from the planet as possible, as quickly as possible. That was my favorite part. (laughs) This was... Bad. It wasn't. It was. I mean, you know, it wasn't bottom of the barrel like you know uh, 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 Plato's stepchildren. Bad. It just. Uh, it wasn't good. Yeah. Ugh. Typical season three. A lot of padding. A lot of heavy handed yep. morality. Just the same old crap. The the costuming was nice. It was the. Uh, I like the looks of the. Uh, I like the looks of the troglites. Yeah, they had these cool like uh, visor things that protected them because they they spent so much time in the caves they couldn't handle natural sunlight. That was yep. cool.
1: And the main chick filled out her jumpsuit quite nicely. Yeah, there
0: were there were two uh, lovely ladies actually. One that was interested in Spock, and one that was interested in Kirk, and they were both both. one that was
1: contractually obligated to be interested in Kirk.
0: Yeah, and a a rather uncomfortable scene with uh, with her trying to to stab him in his sleep, and then him uh, rolling over and pinning her to the bed and making these smug Shatner faces. It was very unpleasant. I don't have to make you leave if
1: I don't want to. Yeah, I'm stay
0: in bed with me. I'm the one that's in control here. Yeah, thank you for that.
1: Don't worry. By the end of the episode, you'll love it. Yeah.
0: Not so much. Um, I, I also liked the... First of all, I like the idea of, of a floating city. I think that's a good yep. idea. Like, it's a stupid, heavy-handed metaphor, yeah, but, but sci-fi-wise, I like it. And I mm-hmm. like... Even in the original episode, which uh, I, I think your disc messed up and you ended up having to watch some of it, it didn't look yeah. that bad, did it? No, it actually looked pretty good. Like, it was. I think it was a painting, but it was a, you know, it was a well, like well-put-together painting. uh,
1: From what I can see, they didn't actually change it a whole lot for uh, when they they converted it to... In uh, the the, uh,
0: enhanced versions, they try not to. They try to, you know... Like, in The Way to Eden, I was reading, they did redesign the ship that uh, they were in in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, they try to stick to the original designs, which is very cool. that's cool. Um, I think what happened there in in The Way to Eden was the the ship they were in in the beginning was a redesigned Tholian ship, and they're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Let's make it look more Federation-y. So that you know, can't steal these. They're full of webs. Yeah, exactly. Um, But here, no, the 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 cloud city. You know, and and of course, we're steering past the obvious cloud city, Bespin, blah blah blah. But you know, Mm -hmm. first of all, this is ten years before the Empire Strikes Back, and secondly, you know, this is not an original idea in either case. Like, no, a a floating city. That idea has been around since forever. So you know. But um, there's a there's a cool scene where uh, one of the stupid troglites uh, plummets to his death from up there. (laughs) And uh, after a while, I wanted to call out, take me with you. (laughs) But no, they did a good job of of making you believe a man could fall to his death. You will believe a man can fall. Yes, exactly. But no, (laughs) making you believe it was actually up there, that it wasn't just a different set, that they they gave you a sense that it was high up and the ground was far below. Like that was Mm -hmm. a nice little trick.
1: Yeah, great, uh, great sets too.
0: Good sets, big sets. Yeah, which is the, always uh, nice. You don't the Cloud
1: speak. City had a very swinging '60s pad look to it. It did,
0: and and the first uh, room that they're in, that they beam into, uh, is is just big and open. It's like a it's like a hall, which is nice. Mm-hmm. It's always nice when you don't see them like obviously staying in one corner of a small set. Yes, when it when it looks like they're filling out a set nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the direction in this uh, is one of those that I think we need to call special attention to. Like, sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it's just standard. Sometimes it's a bit of a cut above. There's a, there's a whole sequence where Spock, there's, he has a whole uh, voiceover with these cool uh, uh, dissolves to different things. Oh, that yeah, that was great. It's a little more artsy than the show usually gets, and uh, mm. and I liked it. Yeah. It felt weird that we're almost at the end of the series, and they're just doing something like that. Now already. they're getting experimental. Yeah. And, and I said the same thing about uh, The Empath. Where mm-hmm. they, they did some cool directorial tricks they hadn't really done before. And, you know, I appreciate that shows like this have sort of a house style. You want them to all look the same. But it, every now and then I like when they try something a little different.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that was cool. Here it was, it, it, they experimented and it worked. Um... The, the so called enlightened people in the city are baffled by the idea that something that's invisible to the naked eye could cause physical problems.
1: I love that. It's like, so you don't believe in, you know, hair yeah, yeah, or germs, disease germs or, or carbon
0: monoxide? Like, nope. There's all kinds of invisible stuff that can kill you. Surely, if you're advanced and intellectual, like the chick that Spock's flirting with mentions that, uh, well, these humans are okay, but uh, we're as smart. Vulcans are as smart as we are. <laughs>
1: like oh, they're, well.
0: They're supposed to be, you know. <laughs> Highly advanced, yeah, not so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the episode where it is officially canon that Ponfar happens every seven years. When when the chick's hitting on Spock, there's this conversation about that, and and she says, "So you can only take a mate every seven years, huh?" So uh, there, there, a few people pointed out that I made that up, or that it, that it's not canon, or whatever. It's right here, so suck it. Yep. Just just wanted to say that. Suck mm-hmm. it. I have, that's right here in my notes. Here I'm looking at it right now. Suck it. Yep. I'm looking at it too. <laughs> there's the. Uh, I, I want to. There, there's one sort of extended um, discussion I wanted to have about this. I want to get our other points out of the way first because there's something from Memory Alpha that's going to take up a bit of time. So if you do you have anything else to say about this before we... I think that's it. ...sort of push on? Okay, the the guy who wrote this episode, David Gerald, wrote uh, The Trouble with Tribbles, which yep. pretty much everyone agrees belongs in, like, the top five Star Trek episodes. It's Absolutely. Awesome. Um, and when I saw his name, I was like, oh, well, yeah, this one's uh, probably pretty good. And, uh, it wasn't, and no, and I asked memory alpha, which always tells me things like this. Why? And, um, like I said, there's a, there's a big, uh, block of text here that I, that I want to get into. This will, this will take me a minute to get through, but I, I trust me, this is very, very interesting reading. So, uh, bear with me here. Um, so this says, and again, I'm taking this right from memory alpha. Uh, the episode was based on a story submitted by David Gerald called Castles in the Air. According to Gerald, in the world of Star Trek, uh, that's a book. I think I have that book. I'm sure I do. Uh, it was intended as a parable between the haves and the have-nots. The haves being the elite who are removed from the realities of everyday life. They live in their floating sky cities. The have-nots were called Mannies for manual laborers and were forced to live on the surface of the planet where air was denser, pressure was high, and noxious gases made the conditions generally unlivable. The Mannies torn between two leaders, one a militant, one a Martin Luther King figure. I knew this was 1968, shortly after King was assassinated. Uh, in my version, uh, again, David Gerald talking here, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Uhura were captured by the Mannies when their shuttlecraft was shot down by a missile. The Enterprise desperately needed dilithium crystals. The planet was one of the Federation's biggest suppliers. Kirk's concern was to restore the flow of crystals. He didn't care who worked the mines, just that the supply was not interrupted. Uh, the shuttlecraft was necessary because I felt the crystals might be too dense for the transporter. In the process of the story, Kirk realizes that unless living conditions for the Mannies are improved, the situation can never be stabilized. Uh, blah, 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 It goes on. Basically, it, it comes down to Kirk forcing the two sides to, um, to reach an agreement. There's several paragraphs here, but I'm, I'm kind of condensing this, uh, where he forces them to agree, but he really doesn't care. He doesn't take <laughs> this, this, uh, high and mighty moral stance. Mm-hmm. He just, he wants his crystals and he doesn't care and he just sits them both down and says, figure it out. Yeah. And so, that's re- uh,
1: that's really cool.
0: Uh, in the end, as the Enterprise breaks orbit, Kirk remarks on this as if inaugurating the problem-solving procedure is the same as solving the problem. <laughs> he, he pats himself on the back and says, we've got them talking. It's just a matter of time before they, right direction, before they find the right direction. And McCoy, who is standing right next to him, looks at him and says, yes, but how many children will die in the meantime? <laughs> that would wow. have been a good story. That would have been great. And uh, David Gerald wraps up this quote by saying, somehow, I think it lost something in the translation. Uh, he is not wrong. Yeah. That would have been a good story, though. Like, there, there's, yeah. There's a, there's obviously the germ of a great idea here. And usually I don't just like to sit here and read to you from a wiki because we're not that kind of podcast. Right. But I thought that was particularly noteworthy because, you know, this could have been a great episode and uh, it, it wasn't. No. It was just ham-handed and, and lame. Mm-hmm. And it's disappointing. All right. So uh, for The Way to Eden, can you tell me about the future, Matt? Indeed I can. In the, future. In, the future. in the
1: future hippies will be just as insufferable as they are now. Sorry, folks. That uh that future ain't quite as bright as Roddenberry predicted. And it stinks of spilt bong water. <laughs> and for the
0: cloud minders. In the, in the future shockingly, people will still hate each other because they're different. Gasp I know. and also choke. Uh-huh. So you got, a, you got a quote for... Uh...
1: I do indeed. This is uh, Severin proving why I hate him and Kirk responding...
0: What is your destination? The planet Eden. That planet is a myth. And we protest against being harassed, pursued, attacked, seized, and transported here against our wishes. Right, brother. We do not recognize Federation regulations nor the existence of hostilities... We recognize no authority save that within ourselves. Well, whether you recognize authority or not, I am it on the ship. Which is
1: why I like him better.
0: Yeah, I uh, I almost, when we were discussing, I was almost going to point that out. and I was like, there were a couple of good quotes in that one. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised also you didn't go with the one where, where they called Spock a Herbert. And it just kind of blinks. And says, I'm, yep. not, I'm not a Herbert.
1: And- if only if there were only a way to give you a visual quote. Oh God! There is a moment where the my most hated hippie goes to visit Spock and asks if he can asks if he can examine Spock's uh, harp, and Spock does this great thing where he sort of barely glances up, points at it, and nods.
0: It's like it's like if you're bugging your dad who's busy.
1: Yeah, it's just like that, can uh, yeah. I
0: can I look at your thing? Mm. Yeah, go ahead. He didn't say a word. He just kind of just like, okay, go ahead. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, my, my quote from the way to Eden, uh, like I said, there's a, there's a chick, uh, in the cloud city, uh, the, the, uh, you know, the, the elite, the, the intellectuals, uh, who clearly has an interest in Spock. A couple of times she's like, uh, that that handsome science officer. I mean, she's so obvious about it. And, uh, and the one hitting on Kirk is the, uh, is, is from the, uh, the troglites. but as soon as they get to the Cloud City, Spock is just right on it. I think he's learned, you know, if I don't if I don't beat Kirk to the punch, I got no chance.
1: Yeah, it's like he literally steps in front of Kirk just yes. as he's about to start hitting on the chick, <laughs> and says, "This I have never before
0: met a Vulcan, sir." Nor I a work of art, madam. Which is a bit out of character, but uh, but I liked it anyway. I think it actually because I had just seen uh, X Men: First Class this week. Minor spoilers. Uh, It actually reminded me just a little bit of that, uh, that's a very groovy mutation. (laughs) (laughs) It's that same sort of I sound smart, but I'm also uh, hitting on a pretty girl at the same time thing. Mm -hmm. Plus it was very
1: 60s.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, And as we have said, this uh, next week is it. Uh, Yep. Our friend Irish Gav will be joining us once again. Uh, We will be doing the final three episodes of season three, and we're done. Yep. So even if next week's episodes are, you know, uh, Plato's Stepchildren parts 2, 3, and 4. It doesn't matter because we're done. We're, we're yep. throw a thorough party. It's, it's Going fun. on to the animated series then. Yeah, the animated series, even if there are bad episodes there, they're only 20 minutes long each, so not a big yep. deal. <laughs> and then the movies, which, you know, despite conventional wisdom, are mostly good. I think yeah. more, more than half of them are good, which is what the conventional wisdom says, I would say. Yep. You know, four out of the six of them are quite good. Mm-hmm. I don't hate one. I don't think it's great, but I don't know.
1: I think need it. to watch one again before
0: I It's it. it's it's just slow and it feels a lot like a season 3 episode with a budget. Oh. It's very padded. There's a good story there, but it's very padded. All right. But there's, you know, the big budget thing. The thing is, I think doing it this way, doing them in order and getting to the motion picture first, you're going to you're going to see it for what it is. You're going to take it in the context it's meant to be taken in, which is Star Trek was a cool idea for a show, but with a movie budget, it's like wow, and yeah, okay, maybe they linger on shots of the ship too long, but really, for the first time, seeing the Enterprise, seeing the scale of it, and seeing it, you know, in detail,
1: must have right. been really
0: cool for the very first oh, yeah. time. And that—that's the whole thing. It's like you got to see this on a shitty TV show for three years. Now, uh, now let's have a good look at it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm willing to forgive it a lot of its stuff just for that. Like, look, we got a movie. Oh my God, look, it's a movie. <laughs> The transporter can look cool now and look some aliens and we turned a guy inside out yeah you know there's a lot of doing stuff just because they can and there's a lot of... <laughs> look
1: look how cool scotty looks in the with the new technology oh god
0: yeah maybe maybe not watch that one on hd i don't know if that's been released on blu-ray yet i think it has but
1: uh... fall deep into his pores <laughs> that's
0: okay it's between one and two that he starts getting fat well yes I mean, he's got the mustache in one, but it's it's between one and two.
1: Isn't one the one where he's just stuffed into that spacesuit thing? Yeah, I think so because he's
0: doing the refit. So I think yeah. the, the idea is that he's crawling around in a lot of weird places, so he needs a special suit. So right. I right, do but we'll, we'll be getting to that shortly. First, we got to get through the animated series. First, we got to get through next week, which includes Turnabout Intruder. Which oh, uh, dear, much like the way to Eden, you know, we know by we know by reputation. I will
1: be very interested interested to see t- in how and. And how the original series says goodbye to us. Uh,
0: Well, they, I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure they knew they weren't coming back, but there's certainly no sense of this is our season finale or series finale. They just kind of stopped. Yep. So uh, that'll be all. We'll we'll come back next week with that. But uh, we're done for now. Say, folks. The Post Atomic Horror Podcast is a co production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2011. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.